0: Find yourself living in a shotgun shack. And you may find yourself in another part of the world. And you may find yourself behind the wheel of a large automobile. And you may find yourself in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife. And you may ask yourself, well, how did I get here? Letting the days go by, letting the water hold me down. Hey, how's it? Ho, 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 and everybody. This is Chris. Welcome to Day 3 of our Merry X-Lapsed Week here. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about, I don't know if I gave it too big of a uh, build-up last episode, but uh, this is the one that I usually think of when I think of X-Men Christmas stories. It's not really all that Christmassy, but the cover is, so uh, it's one that I usually think of, and I... Usually remember it as being far more Christmassy than it actually is uh, So it's funny to actually sit down and, uh, and write out a, uh, a piece for this Because, yeah, I, I thought that this was far more Christmassy Than it actually wound up being But let's not waste any more time Let's just get right on into Uncanny X-Men number 143 now, This had a March 1981 cover date The story's called Demon by Chris Claremont and John Byrne With inks by Terry Austin Letters by Tom Wozichowski Colors, Glynis Ween Edits, Louise Jones Chief, Jim Shooter Cover price, 50 cents And as mentioned, you know, we do look at the covers during this uh, uh, Merry X Lapsed Week here And we've actually got a Christmassy one here In fact, it's probably the most Christmassy part of the entire issue It's a classic, and I'm sure many of you have seen this one many times before Especially this time of year, people seem to like to share this one now, we've got Kitty Pride in her generic X-Men costume in the forefront, and she's scanning around with a flashlight. Behind her, we've got this big, green, not quite Geiger alien. Uh, off to the left, which is our left, Kitty's right, we see an actual, honest-to-goodness Christmas tree with gifts underneath it. Really, really nice. Sadly, it doesn't appear inside the issue. Now, funny enough, despite the fact that this is only the second issue... Of this series where it's known as Uncanny X Men. The Indesia changed with the issue right before this one, right? Uh, issue 142. So this is the second issue where this is officially Uncanny X Men, and the word Uncanny is missing from the cover. <laughs> it's replaced by Merry Christmas. So instead of Uncanny X Men, it says Merry Christmas, X Men. Well, I thought it was interesting anyway. Now, we open with a not-so-Christmassy flashback to a story that wrapped up back in the not-yet-uncanny X-Men number 96. Here we see uh, Storm battling back the Nagari Demons? Najari Demons? I don't know how to pronounce this. And here's another word I don't know how to pronounce. She ultimately destroys the Najari's Karn, or Karn, C-A-I-R-N, whatever that is, Uh, Which they believed was what the Najari demons were using as sort of a non-cracoing gateway from their dimension to the 616. So, bada bing, bada boom, the weird monolith, cairn, whatever, is smashed, and uh, the gateway is believed to be closed. Only problem is that one of the Najari demons managed to slink away as the dust settled. Maybe they'll uh, procreate and be the antagonist for Empire 3, Boredom's Revenge we fast forward to, I don't know, closer to present day Maybe even present day Where we see a pair of newlyweds, Douglas and Ellie Wandering into the wilderness to chop down their first Christmas tree as a couple They find what they believe will be the best tree Which is a relatively tiny one, but uh, cute enough uh, Before Doug gets to chopping, or well, sawing They share a great big hug Then they hear a bit of rustling coming from another nearby tree Assuming it's just a little bit of wildlife, Doug goes to take a look. Only, this ain't no squirrel, it's a Najari demon which grabs him by the throat and spends the next couple of panels feeding on the poor lovers. (sighs) Feeding on both body and soul. Very poetic monsters, these Najari, aren't they? Hmm. We shift scenes to the mansion, uh, the danger room specifically. Professor X is cramming some knowledge into the newest X-Man. Kitty pride, a.k.a. at this time Sprite This lesson is all about the blackbird jet And how to go about the ignition process And this will actually come around later on Just you wait Uh, Kitty's pretty bored and tired It would seem as though these learning drills are getting a little redundant Angel pops in to let Charles Know that his car is ready Saving Kitty from any further Christmas Eve studying Oh, I mean, it's Christmas Eve By the way, because isn't it always In these stories? We head to the foyer, where Logan has brought his lady friend, Mariko Yoshida, in to meet his friends. Nightcrawler pops in with a sprig of mistletoe and gives Mariko a peck on the cheek. This is something that Wolverine does not appreciate. And he actually swipes at Kurt with his claws out. What does he think he's doing, fighting the Fantastic Four? Come on. Colossus transforms into his metallic form to hold Logan back, while Professor X tries to get him to settle his t a little bit. Wolverine ultimately comes around and apologizes, claiming that maybe his old habits die hard. Oddly enough, this exhibition of absolute rage doesn't seem to freak Mariko out a single bit. I figure if that was me, I'd be halfway back to the city at that point. Anywho, while the grown-ups continue to talk, Kitty sneaks over and picks up the mistletoe. She then holds the mistletoe over Peter's head and sneaks a kiss of her own, while calling him sexy. Oh my... In a code-approved book? Hmm. Colossus blushes big time, which Nightcrawler notices, and he suggests that, had this kiss been anywhere other than on his cheek, Colossus probably would have passed out. And, uh, yeah, probably. But let's not think about other places Kitty might have kissed him, because uh, we don't want to do that. Anywho, the next several panels are dedicated to the various X-Men leaving the mansion to attend to their Christmas Eve plans. Warren even mentions Candy Southern, who's always a pip. Then finally, it's Home Alone, Kitty Pride Edition. Now, Kitty kind of freaks out. She's never been left in the mansion by her lonesome. And she's uh, also a bit saddened by the fact that this is her first Hanukkah that she spent without her folks. And, I mean, Hanukkah was actually over by a couple weeks at this point. We gotta assume that, uh, real time, this story was occurring in 1980. And in 1980, Hanukkah ran from December 2nd to December 10th, and again, this story is December 24th, so we're like two weeks, two weeks removed here. Whatever the case, uh, Kitty decides to check in with her family, and so she heads over to the phone. There's no answer at the Pride home. Hmm, I wonder where they are. Now, as Kitty, as Kitty walks away from the phone, it starts to ring. So she thinks it's her folks, and she excitedly picks up. But it's Cyclops. He's just checking in. He'd left the X-Men ages ago. Well, okay, like five issues ago But the way they're making the sound, as well as the next issue blurb that we get at the bottom of the last page of this issue It says, the return of Cyclops I mean, you'd you'd think he's been gone forever, but not really Uh, Scott and Kitty have a nice, if not impersonal chat After the call, Scott heads over to a ship called the Arcadia A ship that's in need of a crew and which is captained by a Lee Forrester now much to Scott's surprise he finds out that Captain Lee Forrester is a g- 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 girl. Now uh Lee is short for Oh, hell, how do I say this? Um boy Aletis Aletis uh, Aletis? Al- Aletis I have no friggin' idea how you say this. But you know if you know who I mean then you know what I mean. Lee Forrester. Enough of them. Back to kidding. Now, she's all dolled up in her generic X-Men costume, which, you know, is world's better than the costume she'll eventually try and create on her own. She decides to have herself a training session in the Danger Room, and she gets to have herself an internal monologue about what great physical shape she's in. She sees herself as becoming a female Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's also worth noting that after she was left home alone, she did have another internal monologue about her genius-level IQ. So, uh, yeah, she's not uh, lacking in the self-esteem department, is she? Now, her training session is interrupted by the intruder alarm going off. A monitor informs her that there's a possible intruder in Zone 4 of the X-Mansion, which is apparently, like, Storm's attic, her little quarters, at least her... the sunroom, the hothouse, whatever, wherever she hides her garden. Kitty climbs on air to get there, because, remember, this is back in the day where the creators cared enough to realize that not everybody picking up these issues knew everything about these characters, so we'd get these little expositional fill-ins, and they very much appreciated. When she finally reaches Storm's hothouse, she finds the windows smashed in and all the plants dead. Kitty then steps in a pile of green gunk. And then she's confronted by that Najari demon. Kitty bugs out, phasing through the floor, but is immediately followed by the demon, who can't phase all that well, but sure as hell can bash through the floor pretty good. The next couple of pages are... A chase scene. Uh, Kitty's trying to get away from this bugger long enough to make an SOS call. She winds up hiding in the basement for a minute, hopeful that uh, the assorted odors down there might throw her pursuer off the scent. I don't know what the basement of the X-Mansion smells like, and now I don't think I want to. When she thinks the coast is clear, she makes her way back upstairs and she goes for the phone. Only, the demon was there waiting for her and slashes right through her. Now, she manages to phase just in the nick of time. However, she still feels the pain as though she didn't. She manages to get away again. She's limping. Her arm has no feeling in it, it. She's in rough shape. She makes her way towards the danger room, hopeful that there might be a gimmick or two in there that she can employ against this monster. And the demon dutifully follows. Finally, Kitty has it where she wants it, and the danger room begins attacking. First, the Najari is pelted by... I don't know, a bunch of metal pipes? Then it's engulfed in flames, then a bunch of, like, random torture things flying around the place, spiked balls and whatnot. The problem here is that Kitty is just as susceptible to the dangers of the room herself. So she dodges the dangers and the claws of the Najari and is able to phase out of harm's way, at least for the moment. Kitty rushes toward the uh, blackbird hangar while reflecting on the prior scene. She notes that the most effective thing against the demon that she noticed was the fire. And she compares that to something that she'd recently seen in a movie. And it's a movie that your humble host has never seen. And uh, even though she doesn't come right out and say it, I mean, it's alien. She's talking about alien. Now, Kitty gets to the mono car, which will, in theory, get her to the hangar within a minute. I didn't know they had a mono car. It's pretty cool. Unfortunately, the Najari has different plans here and derails the little car. Kitty still makes it to the hangar, however. Uh, She just had to hoof it for the second half of the trip. Our gal remembers her Blackbird ignition lessons and goes about setting her trap. She waits for the Najari to draw close enough, then... Pow! She blasts it with the Blackbird thrusters. The jet itself crashes into the hangar, pretty much wrecking everything, but at least she killed the demon, right? Hmm... Well, Kitty exits the wrecked jet to survey the area and is very nearly swiped out by the Najari in what would turn out to be its last swipe before it dies. We shift scenes to later that night. Xavier, Storm, and Colossus have returned to the mansion and they've got a surprise for Kitty. It's her parents. They're here to celebrate Hanukkah two weeks late. Now, Kitty's still awake and she's both relieved and excited to see her friends to the point where she doesn't even notice that her folks are there for a panel or two. We wrap up with Storm pulling Kitty aside to ask just what in the hell happened to the place. She'd already seen the damage to her attic garden. And so Kitty spills the beans. The attic's wrecked, the danger room is smashed, the monocar is toast, the blackbirds a gone or the hangers kaput. <laughs> she had a busy night. She then asks if Storm is mad at her, to which Aurora suggests that perhaps she should be. But something's telling her that uh, she should instead be proud of her. We close out by zooming in on the crispy critter below and the suggestion that, had this been a test, Kitty would have passed with flying colors. And that's the story, but it ain't the end of the issue. We have a letters page, which, you know, discusses stories that we haven't covered here, but it also has a little blurb from Chris Claremont himself here. This is a very important issue for many reasons. Let's let Mr. Claremont say it. Quote, We open with an announcement, one that in many ways I wish I didn't have to write. As many of you no doubt know, this having been widely reported in the various comics news magazines, John Byrne has resigned as Penciler on the X-Men. This is his last issue. It is also Terry Austin's last issue as Inker on the book. In all my years as a writer, I have never worked with as good a creative team, as nice a pair of people as John and Terry. Together, they reach Olympian levels of artistic quality and consistency. They will be missed. That's the sad news. Now for the good stuff. After next issue's superlative interim art job by, friend of this channel, Brent Anderson, one of the finest young pencilers working in comics today, the penciling reins will be returned to the man who co-created the new X-Men in the first place, Dave Cockrum. His initial issue is already finished, and believe me, it's a knockout. Nothing lasts forever, and any change, no matter how beneficial it may turn out to be, is wrenching. Dave's departure three years ago closed the first chapter on the history of the new X-Men. John and Terry's departure closes the second. I wish them well. And I really look forward to see what the next three years will bring. Your response to this book has been really phenomenal. I and Dave intend to keep it that way. Unquote. So, it's kind of like we're holding a piece of X-History in our hands here, right? Pretty cool. And I'd forgotten that John Byrne was gone quite this early. It's like I always have to remind myself that Days of Future Past was kind of the Claremont Byrne Swan song. Unfortunately, I don't have any of those, uh, like, fan mags (laughs) that that Claremont alludes to here. Uh, My fan mag of choice was Amazing Heroes, which didn't even launch until probably like three or four months after this. I do believe... Uh, yes, John Byrne's uh, Fantastic Four is actually the cover of the first issue here. So he'd already left the X-Men, so I didn't get. I don't have any of the Gestalty goodness of uh, what people thought of uh, of Byrne and Claremont split and uh, whose you know whose sides people took and uh, how people felt after Byrne left uh, regarding the quality. I, I you know it's, that's that's kind of stuff that interests me, and uh, maybe one of these days I'll find out. I'm sure I've got something. Somewhere in this these piles of magazines <laughs> That will help me find some answers here I just don't have the time to dig through them right now But uh, all that to say, this is an important issue For more reasons than uh, than I thought going into it Now let's talk about the issue Here's the thing about this issue This is an issue that I would tell anyone To go out of their way to find an experience Because it's both a great character piece for Kitty it's wonderfully tense uh, story, and it's both really well-written and expertly drawn, right? I mean, there's nothing not to recommend here. The problem with it is, is, at its core, it's a chase scene, which, no matter how much I liked it and implore all of you to check it out if you haven't already, makes it a hard issue to talk about, right? <laughs> I mean, there really isn't a whole lot to say. I think we'll find some stuff to talk about, but, uh, I mean, at its core, this is a chase scene. And, uh, regarding that, we could actually talk a little bit more about some behind-the-scenes stuff. Not the Byrne vs. Claremont thing, but some of the inspiration that Claremont and Byrne drew from a certain science fiction motion picture. Now, John Byrne was quoted in Comics Creators on the X-Men. It's, a uh, A book from Titan Books Um, It's kind of out of date at this point But I still highly recommend it For any fans of the X-Men It's something I refer to a lot And I referred to a lot During the uh, the treadmill days A lot of great information There are a lot of uh, quotes That you won't find anywhere else Um, I think it came out probably Ah, 2004-ish, because I think the newest creator that was interviewed in there was probably uh, Grant Morrison and Mark Miller, who were on New X-Men and Ultimate X-Men, respectively, at the time. But a really, really good book if you can find it. You could probably get it for dirt cheap. Um, uh, Tom DeFalco was the, uh, was the driving force behind it. It's really good stuff. Anyway, let's get to the quote here. John Byrne says, We wanted to do an homage to the movie Alien. And I, didn't, I, I don't know whether I was demented or what in those days But I honestly thought when I was drawing it That people wouldn't instantly realize where we got it from I thought I was being really clever How I was making little twists and turns to change it Only the ending, where she used the blackbird to blast Linajari to death, was the same And then Chris kind of wrote the script to even more like the movie By the time I actually read it, I was like Oh well, wait till the lawsuits come But they never did like I've said time and time again, I can't sit still long enough to watch a movie, and so I haven't seen Alien, though. I'll take John Byrne's word for it. I'm also pretty sure I've read that Kitty Pride's look was based on a young Sigourney Weaver, so, uh, there's another similarity there. But, I mean, you take the good with the bad here. I, I guess if Chris and John swiped from Alien, we might suggest that ten years later, Home Alone swiped from this issue. Because, uh, like Macaulay Culkin was being chased around by demons, right? In my head canon he was, anyway But uh, in all seriousness, this is a really good issue um, Kitty was still a very new character at this point She just barely joined the team four issues earlier In the just barely not yet uncanny X-Men number 139 Which is one of the few issues from that era that I still don't own um, This is a heartbreaker This, this, this sucks because <laughs> this is an issue that not too long ago I saw for $5, and I passed on it because I thought I already had it. I don't know why I thought I already had it, but I thought I already had it, so I didn't buy it. I mean, I am a hoarder of sorts, but I'm not the sort that would actually hoard multiple copies of the same issue. I think that's not a cool thing to do, especially if you find something really special for really cheap. I feel like you share the wealth with other people, with other, you know, bin divers and and comic hunters. You don't pull it all for yourself because that's, Kind of a jerk move I just don't do that All that to say I almost had the issue where she joined But I passed on it And uh, it's happened to me a few times Um, A long time ago I left X-Factor number 24 In a uh, 50 cent bin And that's like the first cover appearance Of Archangel Because I thought I owned it I, I carry around little lists Back then I was carrying around index cards Which made me look Probably really really cool having like a back pocket full it probably looked like I was a smoker or something You know I got a pack of cigarettes in my back pocket, but it was actually a stack of index cards about what comics I needed I was a super cool guy and now I just keep it on like a like a one file on my phone So it's it's easier to you know easier to see But it's also easier for me to like misread things because it's so small on the screen and I might accidentally delete something and i'm thinking that's what happened with this uh unc- or not yet uncanny 139 i think i accidentally just ticked it off and i did not buy it which yeah i'm kicking myself for anyway <laughs> now this uh 143 here is one of the issues where i wish i could experience it as the readers of the day did cuz i'm sure the first time that i read this was probably god uh turn of the century in an, in an essentials volume but by then, I already know who Kitty is. I I already saw her as an established member of the X-Family. She's been on several teams. She's been around. I mean, sure, it was cool to see her as a kid here, but I think it would have been far more special had I not known what she'd go on to be, right? Joining Excalibur, coming back to the X-Men, being, you know, an elite of the group. Here, she's a kid, and... I mean, I'm not like I'm criticizing the issues. It's just something that sort of is. And it would have been... In my head, it would have been far more satisfying a read Had I not known everything that came after it Can't change that Nobody's fault, just a thing Now, if we're using our Christmas ranking system This one would be out of group B There's a story that occurs during Christmas time But isn't so much about Christmas As Christmassy as it gets Outside the cover is the mistletoe scene Which, hey, let's talk about that Let's talk about the mistletoe, mistletoe scene yeah, Wolverine's a damn psychopath, is he? Uh, I mean... Let's say he made contact with Nightcrawler, okay? He, he swiped at him with his claws out. He would have killed him, right? He would have surely killed him. Now, if you've listened to X-Lapsed, you'll know I'm not a huge fan of Wolverine swiping with his claws out at other heroes. We saw during X-Men Fantastic Four, that miniseries, that Logan likes him some claws out swiping. And I do get the allure of drawing the scenes like that, but it kind of ignores just how dangerous this character is, right? I mean, there's a difference between punching someone who ticks you off and gutting them, right? I could see Logan wanting to deck Kurt for kissing his girl, but eviscerating him? (laughs) I mean, that's a bit much, right? I mean, let's think of it this way. What would the Quiet Council say? They'd probably throw him on the Hellions team. That's just craziness. Um, Colossus getting smooched by Kitty was, you know, I don't know. I've always thought this relationship was a little bit skeevy, and that's probably a result of my coming into the fandom when I did. I've always viewed Colossus as being not just a little bit older than Kitty, but like a lot older. Like, if there were an X Men Thanksgiving, she'd be they'd be sitting at different tables, right? Kitty would be with like the New Mutants, and Artie and Leech, well, Peter would be with Storm and Wolverine. So in my head, they're from, like, different X-generations. So having Kitty kiss him while referring to him as sexy, and then seeing Peter's blushing reaction, is kind of weird. And I know... I know they recently were engaged, almost married. I don't know how that all played out. That was during my latest hiatus. But uh, I know that they're more contemporaries now. I know that it's not... I know, what's-his-face, uh, Whedon. Joss Whedon did, like, a whole thing where they got together. And I, I think he even had them bang, because, of course, we need that. I still see them as being... D- different. <laughs> now, Nightcrawler's suggestion about the kiss being more intimately placed, it's a little little skeevy as well. Uh, overall, uh, this is a great little horror riff, and a wonderful getting-to-know-Kitty Pride issue. The opening bit with the Najari killing that happy couple was a great way to set the stage, right? It shows how dangerous this demon is, while also giving us a little bit of dread about what might be to come. Getting into Kitty's head was excellently done. Thought balloons are something that are sorely missed nowadays, because all of our genius-level writers are now writing for film and Netflix adaptations rather than just writing comic books. We don't get them anymore. They're considered passé or too comic booky. Stories like this really show how effective the thought balloon is when it comes to telling a story. And stories like this only make me miss them in contemporary comics even more. Sure, these pages are densely packed with words. It is Chris Claremont, after all. But you can't say you don't get your money's worth here. And you also can't say we don't grow closer to Kitty as a character as a result of being in her head for 20-odd pages here. You really get the feeling like you know this person You know what's going on in their mind You know what they're afraid of You know what they feel about themselves We should have more of this We should have more of this The chase scene while I mean, it was a chase scene Was done so well that it never felt boring Burn absolutely killed it here Every panel is bursting with action Fear, tension, dread, urgency You name it I mean, this is just so well done It's just a little hard to synopsize, and that ain't anybody's fault but my own, for for doing it in the first place. Overall, again, if you're an X-Men fan, chances are you've already read this one, probably several times over. If you, for whatever reason, have not, maybe use this holiday as an excuse to treat yourself. It's a great issue and a nice little cap to the Claremont Byrne-Austin era of the Uncanny X-Men. Definitely. Definitely highly recommend it. Check it out this time of year, any time of year. It's a good story. It's a great story. But that's all I got to say about it. So, uh, if anybody out there would like to talk about it uh, with me, please feel free to reach out. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, or you can send an email to Weird Comics History at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at Chris's On Infinite earth.com, also xlapsed.chris's On Infinite Earths.com. You can talk to us about comics and Christmas and Christmas and comics and anything you want over at 90s X-Men on Facebook. And you can check out the complete Chris and Reggie audio archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. Once again, I hope everyone's enjoying this little vacation from uh, Krakoa. Sometimes you just have to get away Even if you're leaving paradise It's still kind of a vacation Um, Hope you're all enjoying it Uh, Thank you all so much for sharing your time with me During this busy holiday week It really, really means a lot to me And as always, I will uh, talk to you all again Real soon See ya